All right, overflow, the last part of the series. We're concluding this series. We took six weeks, six Sundays, to talk about six different parts of us as a people and how these different parts interact, how these different parts, um, they, they connect to each other. So each week we went through uh, a different part working from our way from outside in um, so that we could kind of learn how we function as humans. And uh, I'm not going to go through every week, but I do want to mention that last week, Pastor Alini shared a very practical, very insightful message on the connection between the body and the soul. And I think it's an important message for us to keep uh, listening to. I actually heard it a couple week, a couple days ago. And uh, it, it's good because I thought about, you know, it's it's there's a new year coming. And with the new year, a lot of us um, have lists and, and decisions and things that we that we want to write down and maybe things that we want to accomplish. I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that message and incorporate that in your goals and your uh, resolutions for 2024. I believe it'll bless you. All right, so we have worked all our way, all the way in, right? We talked about the outer part, we talked about lifestyle, we talked about environment, we talked about relationships, we talked about your, your, your body, we talked about your soul, and now we have come to, to the innermost part of each one of us, which is our spirit. And, and that's what we're going to focus on today, our spirit. See, many people today forget to remember that we live in a, in, a, in, a, in a reality that is mostly binary. Now, I know the word binary has been used a lot this day, these days on a specific context of gender and sexuality, but that's not what I'm talking about today, ex at least not directly. Uh, what I mean is that many of the choices, many of the tension, many of the circumstances that we face, they are binary. You know, we all have paths that we have to choose, and typically these choices are binary. In other words, we have two paths in life, the path of good and the path of evil. And the choices you make each day are either leading you to one or the other. There are two existential realities in the world, heaven and hell. And the decisions we make, they're guiding us to either having heaven on earth or hell on earth. I say these are existential realities because they're not just eternal realities for the afterlife. They exist here and now. Jesus, when he started his ministry, he said that he was revealing the kingdom of God on earth. One of his announcements was, the kingdom of God is at hand. What was Jesus saying? Heaven is here. Heaven is attainable. And so we have these binary realities that we can pursue and experience. We either walking toward love or we walking toward hate. We either embracing empathy or we are leaning towards apathy. We either are nurturing goodness in our hearts or we're nurturing malevolence in our hearts. We are either becoming more generous or becoming more stingy. It's the same, true, it's the same thing with truth and lies. In your speech, 
You can either speak truth or you can speak lies. Now, people sometimes say that they're half-truths, but there's not really half-truths, right? What there is is like undiscovered truths. You may know part of the truth, but the rest of the truth is there for you to discover. And if somebody is hiding or intentionally deceiving, omitting the truth, obfuscating the truth, it's deception. So it's a kind of lie, isn't it? So there's either truth or lies. And along with that, one of the greatest binary realities that we don't seem to be aware of as we should is the reality that we either live from the spirit or we live from the flesh. There's really no middle. We have either one or the other. Now, it has been a misguided and confused development amongst humans that the most sophisticated of us are the ones who ignore the spiritual reality. It seems that that's the popular approach to life. That only the physical, the visible, the tangible is superior. That other realities are, the spiritual reality is inferior. It's for people who can't have a get handle in life. We have an entire generation being brought up today unaware that they are spiritual beings and that they are spiritual beings first. And the problem that we can't, is that we can't ignore it. The problem is that even if you suppress your spirituality, even if you try to think that you're not a spiritual being, you're going to be a spiritual being because that's who you are. That's how you're made. That's how you're wired. It'll, it's going to show up somehow, somewhere. So what has happened in this century particularly, even more uh, attenuated in the last 50 years or so, is that more and more people who claim to be secular give divine and religious importance to things that do not deserve divine and religious importance. Things that do not merit or deserve the weight of the divine and religious. Things that are not holy and sacred are being considered and elevated to the status of holy and sacred. Now, why is that? It's because we're spirits first. We're spirit first. We're spiritual beings. We desire and yearn for a spiritual connection to connect to something, something that, that connects to the deepest part of us. So when people can't recognize God or choose intentionally to reject God, they'll make up their own gods. And they will serve that thing. Whether they are aware of it or not, that's what happens. Now I find it funny that so many people resist or maybe outright reject the idea that we're made in the image of God. And that we should aspire to be godly. It's funny to me that people reject that because I find it to be a compliment. Is there, is, is there really a greater compliment than looking at somebody and saying, hey, you are made in the image of God. Like, think about somebody that you really admire. Maybe someone in the public eye or maybe somebody that, that you know. That, like they, that Man, they, they are great people. If I walked to you, up to you and said, hey, you remind me of that person. You, you, something about you is just like that person. Wouldn't you say, like, thank you, right? Be like, that's, that's endearing. That's, I'm flattered. Now, wh 
when we say that we're, we're made in the image of God, we're saying, hey, the most divine, perfect, amazing, awesome being, there, there are moments that I see his reflection on you. Like if, if you were to tell me, JD, you're made in the image of God, I'd be like, thank you. Because I messed up. I am all sorts of troubled, you know? Like I have all sorts of issues. But if you say that there's a moment, there are moments where there, there's a glimpse of the divine in my life, I take it as a compliment. But for some reason, these days, there's an insistence in making any type of lifestyle, lifestyle that seeks after God seem ridiculous or even provincial. And I don't understand. I don't understand why so many, even educators, people in the public, that have public voices, insist that the godly life is worse when they have nothing better to offer. There's no better alternative to offer. Now, this is going to seem random. But <laughs> I was scrolling through some kind of uh, social media, and um, a friend of mine made a post. I don't remember exactly what post it was, but it's something related to milk. And, and I told you it's going to seem random, but just follow with me, okay? There's just it's a point to it. Something related to milk, like is either drinking milk or whatever, and then somebody random posted that I don't recognize, po commented on the post going like, we are the only species that drinks milk as adults. And it was like, <laughs> it was supposed to sound smart and a little bit off-putting, like, like, like a rejection of, of drinking milk as adults because we are the only species that, that drink milk as adults. The comment was literally, it was, it was uh, intentional to, to make it seem like it was a wrong thing to do. And, and I just read that and I was like, supposed to sound smart it's so preposterous what are, what are the other mammals supposed to do think about it what are the other animals supposed to do how are they going to source it are they going to build a farm and milk some cows how are they going to get milk are they going to try to sneak up on a, on a mama bear and try to steal try that good luck what are they supposed to do? Of course they don't drink milk because they can't source it. Have you ever seen a hungry cat or dog reject a bowl of milk? No. They don't drink it because they can't get it because they ain't smart enough to get it. <laughs> are you offended that I'm saying that animals are not as smart as you? <laughs> They're not that intelligent. Could you imagine a, a, a offering a bowl of milk to a milk or to, to a cat or a dog and them just snubbing it, going like, huh, humans. Like looking at you with disdain, drinking milk past infancy. Oh. <laughs> now here's why I bring that up, and this is why it's relevant to the conversation. To this kind of argument, and others like it, because there are other arguments like this. They make animals the standard. Because if you reject God, what else is going to be the standard but nature? And the problem with that is that that shouldn't be our goal. Has it ever been your goal to, to live like a lizard? Is that who we're supposed to mirror for our diet, animals? Do you want to eat like a dog or a pig or a cat? You know, there are raccoons that attack my, my, my trash can every other night 
Should I try to mimic that? No, should, should, let's go beyond food. Should we give up cooking because we're the only species that cook? Should we give up driving because we're the only species that can drive? Or, or go live in a hut somewhere or, or, or a cave because we're the only species that can build homes? It's preposterous. When you think about it, really, you, look, you listen to arguments like that, you see how, how ridiculous it sounds when you try to look elsewhere for inspiration on how to live our lives. Of course we're different. We're made in the image of God. We're the only being on earth that has a spirit. Of course, every single living thing gains its life from God. But we're the only ones where God breathe his spirit into us we're different now here's the thing about humans you and i we can be the best thing on earth or we can be the worst we can build or we can destroy we can gather or we can or or, or and unite or we can disturb and divide it all depends on what we pursue it all depends on on what we we aim at on on what we draw life from and what we learn from the scriptures is that we should strive to pursue that which is higher than ourselves yes it's true that every living thing like i said received their life from god but we are we have the spirit of god in us and if we deny our spirit we deny our very nature so we're going to look a little bit about into this relationship between our spirit and the life of God because a life that has meaning and, 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 and it has to receive its guidance from the spirit of God. So Jesus had a, had a conversation with a, with a Pharisee. I'm going to read two very uh, popular or famous scriptures today of conversations that Jesus had with two people. And the first one is this Pharisee that Jesus Met and a Pharisee was a religious authority in, in the community, and, and this is how the conversation went. John chapter 3, verses 1 and, uh, through 8. I'm reading from the NIV version. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if they were not with him Jesus replied if God were not with him Jesus replied very truly I tell you no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again how can someone be born again when they are old Nicodemus asked surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born so Jesus answered very truly I tell you no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit flesh gives birth birth to flesh but the spirit gives birth to spirit you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again the wind blows wherever it pleases you hear its sound but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going so it is with everyone born of the spirit <coughs> excuse me this is a powerful conversation First thing is to notice is that he comes to Jesus at night. 
for some reason he doesn't want to be seen with Jesus. It seems like it. Or maybe he doesn't want to endorse Jesus because he's a person of status. But he, res he, he respects Jesus because he gives Jesus a respectable title of rabbi, teacher. And then he says, we know. He's talking now about the council. They've met. They've talked about Jesus. And he says, we know. In other words, we, the religious leaders, based on our experience, on our knowledge, on what we know about the scriptures and we know about history and what we have witnessed, you do, we know that, that you are godly. We have no doubt that you're godly. The way you live, the fruit of your life, what you have displayed to the world gives us the evidence that we need to be convinced that you have come from God. He's telling Jesus this. And Jesus goes straight into explana the explanation on how to be like that. Jesus doesn't say like, oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm the son of God. Sorry, you can't do it. It's just me. No, he, he brings in the context. In other words, Jesus is saying, this is not just me. It's not just for me. This is a reality that everyone who wishes to be born of the Spirit must embrace. Jesus explains that for someone to experience the kingdom of God, it is necessary to be born of water and the Spirit. In other words, he's saying, Nicodemus, you can, you can have this life too. Now, what is Jesus talking about being born of the water and the Spirit? Is he talking about like, Drinking lots of Fiji water or Perrier. Perrier. Now, water has a deep symbolism in the scriptures. You know, in creation, when things were formless and void, it says that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. There's a powerful connection between water and the Spirit. And we, re we read a couple of weeks ago about Jesus' baptism. If you remember, the, the baptism of Jesus was the moment where he was immersed in water by John the Baptist. And when he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit shows up as a dove and rests on Jesus' life. Now, a lot of the tradition, Christian tradition of baptism, emphasizes the baptism in water as something for the remissions of sins and it's true it is for the remission of sins it is for the forgiveness of sins it is for our, our, the cleansing of our, of, our, of, our, of our lives it's a symbol but if Jesus was sinless why did he need to get baptized have you thought about that if there was no sin in his life why did Jesus need to get baptized and here's why Baptism is not only a symbol of cleansing and the purifying of the soul, but it's also a symbol of full immersion into a new kind of life. It's the letting go of your old life. It's the letting go of the ordinary life for a new life. A life in the Spirit. A godly life. Now there's little we know about Jesus before His baptism, and I think that that's intentional. I think that even that moment in Jesus' life was a teaching moment, was an exemplary moment, where Jesus is saying, this is what happens when you go from your old life, your carnal life, your flesh, fleshly life, into a spiritual life. From the moment Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit rested on him, he became the Jesus that we know. When he was born of the water and the Spirit, he became the supreme example of how to be human. 
Not that he wasn't before. But like I said, I believe that even this step was an example for us. Now there's another encounter Jesus had. This is the second conversation. Where this picture of water and spirit, this relationship between the water and the spirit come together as well. On the next chapter, John, the Apostle John, is writing and telling us a story that brings Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus to life with an ordinary person who is not a religious person, a person more like you and I. And, and I believe that John wrote this story following the Nicodemus conversation, not by chance that he put these two stories together in his writings. So Jesus was traveling by foot, as, as people did those days, and he was tired from the journey. It was a long journey. It was about midday, and so he decided to stop and rest by a well uh, in, in a town, uh, in, a, in a place near a town called Sychar. And, and as he was tired from the journey, he stopped by the well, and he sent his disciples into, the, into town to get some, some food. Now, while he was there by himself, and while he was, waited at, he was waiting at the well, there was a woman that came to draw water from the well. Some of you know the story. It's a popular story. He initiates this conversation with the woman by asking her for a drink, which startles her. It surprises her because, first of all, she was a Samaritan, and, and Jews and Samaritans didn't talk. I, I explained to you a couple weeks ago that it's the same as if it was a Palestinian today. It, the, the animosity was, was strong and sharp between Jews and Samaritans. And so that was the first barrier that she thought, this is weird, this Jew is talking to me. But the second barrier is that Jesus was a man, and she was a woman. And, and there was, that was not the norm for a man to ask a woman to, to draw water for them. And so he asks the Samaritan woman for a drink, and, and, and she, she contests. She said, how can, you, how can you ask me of a drink? And then the conversation continues. I'm picking up on verse 10 of John chapter 4. I'm reading from the NIV version. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that, is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did all his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I give them will never be thirsty again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and, that, and, and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say, I have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands, and the man you're now with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now, this story has more to do with you and me than we might perceive from the get-go. Because here's some context and connection you might have not thought about. It is a significant thing that Jesus met this woman at the well. Because in Jewish tradition, in, in, in Hebrew tradition, they would have understood this. And the Samaritan woman would have understood this too. You see, Abraham, the father of faith, found a wife for his son Isaac 
at a well. Jacob met Rebekah at a well, Isaac's son. Moses met his wife Zipporah at a well. And there are many encounters that have happened at a well in the scripture that are significant. Now Jesus is meeting this woman at a well. And so this is, this is not only a random meeting, well it's not a random meeting, but it's not only a meeting with a woman who is in need, but it has significance because it, she represents a potential bride. She represents someone that in the past was a potential bride to the person at the well. And that's why Jesus asked about her husband. Now, not because Jesus was romantically interested in her. That's not, that's, it's a spiritual significance. And the woman here, as we see, she had tried love five times. Now, that's a, that's a big number. Five husbands, even today, like, it takes a lot, right? Five husbands is a lot for anyone. So by the time she meets Jesus, she was probably not that young anymore. Because for you to carry five relationships, it's going to take some time. She was, she was most likely disillusioned with all that she had lived through. She had given up on the whole system. She didn't even care to be married to this latest man. Most likely he had a relationship with someone else. He was probably married. We don't know, but it's likely that he was married and that she was his mistress. So she gave up not only on marriage, she gave up on the notion of fidelity. She was living from the outside and just trying to satisfy her soul seeking from the world the fulfillment for her soul. Isn't that the reality of a lot of people today? Just trying to draw in something out of life and going again and again and again, trying the same thing again and again and over and over. And what is Jesus' response to her? See, the first thing that I shared with you in this series is that a life that overflows is a life that produces more than enough, a life that is abundant. And Jesus meets this woman at her state of brokenness and lack, at a state of disillusion, and he offers her abundance. He says, hey, the water I will give you will never run out. It'll become a spring. You will never have to draw water again. Of course, he was talking about her soul. You came to get water? How about I turn you into a fountain? What a powerful picture. And that's how Christ meets us in our circumstances. See, she represents the church. She represents every single one of us who have gone through life depleted, fighting through things, trying to draw from life some kind of sustenance for our souls, and still we're left lacking. And Jesus meets us where we are. And he says, hey, not only am I going to supply what you need, but I'm going to transform your life into a fountain. Friends, there's a difference between abundance and excess. We have to know this difference. It's important. Excess is overindulgence. 
Excess is unhealthy. Excess points to an unquenchable thirst in our souls that we can't seem to satisfy, and so we try to get just more. More is the answer that we have. All we want is more. But abundance is not excess. Abundance is security. Abundance is peace. Abundance is not only satisfying our souls and, and our needs, but having more than enough to bless others. That's what abundance is. And this woman had tried excess. She had had five husbands and a lover. She, she is overcome with, with the sense of more, but still her soul was not satisfied. And I believe this is a picture of someone who ignores or denies their spirit, living from the inside out. Now the conversation continues. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the, the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation comes from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and it has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For the kind of worshipers the Father seeks, for, the, for they are the kind of worship the, the Father seeks. Now listen to this. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one who is speaking to you, am he. First time that he reveals himself as the Messiah was to this broken, empty, disillusioned woman. It's a picture of you and I of Christ revealing himself to the most ordinary of us who has tried and failed, who are carrying all these sins and all these things that we think are an impediment to the life that God has for us. And Jesus is saying, no, I can change it all. Jesus comes to the core of the issue here. He's saying, listen, you have depended on wells for so long. You have depended on wells for so long, you started valuing the wrong thing. You were hyper-focused on this relational aspect of your life, but you don't know that. That, that can't be your well. That can't satisfy you. And, 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 and let me ask you this. Isn't that true of us? Maybe your well is not the same of, of, of hers, but, but what are some of the wells in your life that you have become dependent on? What are some of the wells that you have been constantly trying to draw life from? Is it the approval of others? Or maybe status with family and friends being recognized as someone important? Maybe your education is the well that you've been trying to draw life from. Maybe your financial status is the well that you've been trying to draw life from. Money, career. See, none of these things are bad. So long as don't they don't replace the place that belongs to God in our hearts. 
There's a healthy way to enjoy the approval of others. In fact, the scripture says that so far as it depends on you, we should live in peace with all. There's a healthy way to enjoy having success. Scripture talks about good success. That's the promise of God for us to have good success. Letting, letting our good deeds shine so that others may see and, and glorify God. Prosperity is God's desire for you. Success at work and life is His desire for you. But if those things become our wealth, if those things become the source of our life, we can lose our soul. We can lose our way. We can live for the flesh and not the spirit. It's one of those binary things. That's why Jesus is saying it's not about the wealth. It's not about the mountain or Jerusalem. It's not about where you worship. It's about what you worship and how you worship. This is how you will become a fountain, Jesus said. You got to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And someone, some of you have experienced this. That's why you're here today, because you have experienced this. You used to depend on your job, and, and, you, and if you had a bad day at work, it just ruined your life. It was just terrible. You, your world collapsed. You used to depend on your lifestyle, some of you. Status. And if that got afflicted or, 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 or disturbed, you were a mess. Some of you used to depend on your environment, having to have the impressive house, the impressive car, the impressive office. Some of you used to depend on your relationships, had to have the people around you that made you look good, or people that you could depend on, or vice versa. Or maybe it was your body. You, know, you had to be the most attractive person in the room. That's how you found Fulfillment. Maybe the smartest person in the room. Those were your wells. But then you met Jesus. Then you met Jesus. And you realized that you had been drinking the earthly kind of water. The water that was flowing the wrong way from the outside in. And your heart had this unquenchable thirst. It was like an unquenchable desert. And you were drawing water. Just like this woman in all these wells. But you were never satisfied. And then you opened your heart to Jesus. You open your heart to the life of God, the living water, and you fixed your eyes on Him, and then you saw what His water began to do in your life. It began to flow in the right direction. His water began to wash every part of you from the inside out clean. And now you seek knowledge, not because you want to be impressive or you want to be accepted, but because you love knowledge and you want to bless others. You exercise, not because you want to compete with others and be the best-looking person in the room, but because you value health and you, and you want to live a long life. And relationships are not about them fulfilling you, but it's about you being a blessing to them you serving them, you being generous to them. Everything is flowing from the Spirit and for the first time you had this revelation that you are living in abundance. It doesn't mean that everything is perfect. It doesn't mean that you have no circumstances that are coming against you. But it does mean that you're satisfied. That your soul has found its home. And friends, I want to challenge you today to understand that we are we're called to live from the inside out. And like Jesus said, like the wind blows, nobody knows where it comes or where it goes, and that's the life of the Spirit. You just have to practice it. 
You have to, you have to live by it. Jesus said, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. And he's talking about two spirits here. The Spirit of God gives birth to our spirit. See, your spirit is the only part of you where God can dwell, and it's only for God. If there's no God in your spirit, your spirit is dead. And you try to draw all these things from your soul, and, and, and it, it, it can't fulfill you. Now, I want to encourage you today to embrace and pursue this kind of life, to live from the inside out, to live from the spirit every single day, to embrace godliness, to embrace Christ-likeness, to embrace the life of the spirit as your own, because what the world has to offer, it can't fulfill you. It can't fulfill you. So today, let's make a decision together that we're going to live from the Spirit and allow the Spirit of God to bring life from the inside out and that, that, that will overflow into our soul and that our soul will become purified and, and, and made in the image of God and that will overflow to our body and to our lifestyles and to our relationships and every single part of us because if you do that, you will live in the overflow and you will experience the abundance that God has for you. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. Amen, amen. Amen.